This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of February the 12th, 2024, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. If you're a loyal listener, you've experienced the big buildup over the last month. This is the week of the NBA All-Star Weekend in Indianapolis, which officially tips off on Thursday and will run through the 73rd NBA All-Star Game on Sunday night. Over the next week, Indianapolis will be the site of star-studded concerts, exhibition games, fan-friendly activities, multimedia programming, and major art installations. For this week's edition of the podcast, I want to focus on a philanthropic feat that deserves to be in somebody's record book. The Indianapolis-based not-for-profit Million Meal Movement is bringing together thousands of volunteers in Lucas Oil Stadium on Thursday in an attempt to pack one million meals for Indiana-based food pantries in a 24-hour period. For a not-for-profit with such an aspirational name, Million Meal Movement is a surprisingly compact organization. It has five employees, including co-founder Nancy Hintz, who is a full-time executive for another firm in the food and agriculture space. But since Hintz and her husband Dan founded the group in 2007, it has packed nearly 35 million meals for food insecure people. Nancy Hintz is our guest this week sharing the story of how she and her husband met at Indiana University, the game plan for packing one million meals in one day, and the group's strategy for simplifying its operations so its impact can have such a wide footprint. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Nancy Hintz, the co-founder and executive director of Million Meal Movement. I know you are super busy <laughs> with about a week to go before the NBA Cares All-Star Day of Service. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Excited to be here. So obviously a lot going on. Give us a sense just real quick. What is it you are working on right now? What is happening in preparations? So right now we are getting all of the ingredients together and putting them on trucks and loading them to go to Lucas Oil so that we are ready for the day with all of these volunteers coming and packing these meals. Over the 24 hours of the marathon, how many volunteers are you expecting? 6,000 volunteers. How do you rustle up 6,000 volunteers? <laughs> <laughs> It is a mass effort. Believe it or not, I think in Indiana, we have great hearts. People care about other people. And that's one of the best things about uh, our organization is that it's easy to get volunteers to come and pack meals. All ages, all walks of life are welcome. And when they hear that there's an opportunity, especially with, to be a part of an exciting event, as the MBA CARES program, they come out and they sign up and they're excited about it. Mm -hmm. You put out an invite on social media, to mm -hmm. invites to everyone who's ever volunteered for you before. Do uh, some of your partners get involved as well? Like what do the Pacers have put out a call? Yes. So it was the NBAs put out the call as well as the Pacers. And then we have a large network with our partners as well as volunteers who've been with us in the past. And so a lot of the spots were gone within 15 minutes. Wow. <laughs> Do you have 6,000 right now? 
we're full. We are completely full. There is not any opportunity for anybody to be added on to any of our shifts. Even the middle of the night shifts are full. So at any given time, like how many volunteers would be working? In a shift, I mean, it just depends on the time of, of day, but the shifts will be generally a couple hundred people. And they will all work in groups of 10 to 12 for each shift. They will have a table that's an assembly line where they will scoop ingredients and weigh them and then seal them in a bag. And those bags are then put into boxes and eventually food banks will be picking them up and then they will distribute them throughout the entire state of Indiana. Yeah, I've seen this on online, mm -hmm. the, the process. It looks very simple. It looks very streamlined, which I yeah. guess is on purpose. Yes, it is so easy. Children enjoy it. Uh, seniors enjoy it. Really, everyone is welcome. Everyone is able to, to get involved. And it's a fun time to be able to talk to your neighbor while you're scooping the food. <laughs> and then, of course, at all of our events, we have great music. And so that even makes the the event even more enjoyable. And knowing that for the time that you're there, you have done a lot of great work for, for Indiana, for those who are food insecure. So what are in the meals? What is a meal in this context? So we actually will pack two different kinds of meals. Uh, we will have a macaroni and cheese meal, which is pasta, and it also has cheese in it. But the nice thing about this meal is that you only need to add water to it. So it's it's enriched with calcium and vitamin D, and it's easy enough that should a child receive it and want to cook the meal, that it's easy for them just to be able to, to prepare that. <laughs> the other meal that we will have will be a rice veggie meal that is packed with protein. It's a soy protein. And that will have four ingredients to it. So you have the rice, you have the vitamin mix, you have the dried vegetables, and then you also have the, the soy in it. And so that's a really nice meal because it is so enriched with all the vitamins and minerals in it that one would need to grow and thrive. So those who are food insecure that are deficient in some minerals or vitamins, you know, they receive everything that their body needs. So where do the elements of the food come from? So we work with food producers, food manufacturers, and so we're always looking for quality ingredients and as well as good prices because we want to make sure that we are able to sustain you know, the work that we are doing. Uh, so we work with the food manufacturers themselves. So are you always making just these two kinds of meals whenever you pack meals? At this point in time, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, see, it's super simple. It <laughs> it's is. like Chipotle. Well, and Indiana <laughs> really likes their macaroni and cheese. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. All right. Yeah, so, you really streamline it. You need yeah. this kind of grain, mm -hmm. that kind of grain, these kind of vitamins, this kind of cheese. Correct. And that's all. Correct. And yeah. then, bam, you got to pack it once you add volunteers. <laughs> exactly. And water. Right, right. Okay, cool. What is the biggest challenge logistically for one of these events where you're trying to make a million meals in a day? I would say logistically, it's really, I mean, it takes so many people to make an event run smoothly. And, and honestly, I have to commend our operations manager, Shane, for the work that he does because he is spectacular in, in handling all of the logistical part of this. And it's the 
many people working together to coordinate this many volunteers and making sure that everyone is showing up at the right time and also handling the going through the security system. And when it comes to the ingredients, making sure that we have the right number and being able to set up all of the tables in time so that to receive all these volunteers and make it happen. It's a lot of moving parts. And, and at Millie Meal Movement, we have an amazing team to make all that happen. It's, it's four wonderful people that I work with that are very talented. Yeah, for an organization with a big name, I mean, your staff is small. It is. Well, I mean, that's kind of the nature of what we do, right? It's a volunteer-driven organization. But yes, for sure, we, <laughs> it would not happen without, without our team. And it's, but it's five total? We're yeah, talking about my, myself included, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Have you done this at Lucas Oil Stadium before? We have actually packed at Lucas Oil Stadium. So several years we've had our Millie Mill Marathon there uh, in the fall where we have partnered with the Colts. And we have had a one-day event with multiple shifts where we have strove to pack a million meals. Okay. So you're familiar with the locale. Yes. This has happened before. (laughs) Yes. This one's a little bit different in the fact that it's actually going to be on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium this time. Oh, wow. Okay. And that it's a 24-hour event. But you've done 24-hour events before. Not to this scale, but yes, we have done 24-hour events. So is it fair to say then this is the biggest? We're combining two elements. We're combining the 24 hours plus the million meals. And so, yeah, this will be an amazing event. But, you know, our team is ready. You're supposed to have like players, celebrities helping out. Is there anybody you can tell us about? I understand that it's going to be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Have they told you? (laughs) Or you don't want to say? I I think that's supposed to be top secret. Top secret? Sounds good to me. (laughs) And then where do the meals go? So they will be picked up by our partners, uh, Midwest Food Bank, Gleaners, as well as Feeding America. And they will be distributed to food pantries in all 92 counties in our state. We want to make sure that we reach everybody in Indiana because every single county does experience food insecurity. And these meals matter. So how did you, uh, I mean, Million Meal Movement, become involved in in the all-star extravaganza? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it's because you had a pre-existing relationship with the Pacers, but maybe you could tell me what happened. So, yes, we have worked with the Pacers. We started working with the Pacers, I think, back in 2010. And since then, the, our relationship with the Pacers has grown. And, uh, you know, once again, I have to say hats off to our operations manager, Shane, because he has continued to to nurture that relationship and when it came time to collaborate with the NBA in forming the efforts that they wanted to make in the community, the Pacers asked them about working with Million Meal Movement. And this is a different kind of event that the All-Star Post Committee has ever performed. And they're excited about it. They think that this is going to be something that will really be um, meaningful to making a community-level impact, which is their goal. You know, their mm. their goal is to, wherever they are, 
having the all-star event that they are making a significant impact in the community. And I'm you have to say that a million meals will definitely make an impact. <laughs> that, sure, yeah. It's a round number. It's, yes. <laughs> Any doubt in your mind that you can get, get this done in 24 hours? No doubt, yeah. We, we've already figured out the numbers and the meals, and we'll get there. Let's take a quick break so we can hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. We're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and our conversation with Nancy Hintz of Million Meal Movement. Now, let's look back a little bit farther. How did Million Meal Movement come about? What's the origin story? So it started by sitting on the couch late one night, watching the NBC Nightly News, actually, And there was a new segment of people making a difference. And I saw a similar program in another state and watching everything about packing meals and seeing all of the different ages and the level of impact that it was making. I looked to see if there was anything like that in the state of Indiana. And I saw that there wasn't. And this was on the heels of having two daughters in preschool age. And my studies were in psychology and knowing that it's important to foster caring for others at a very early age. And there wasn't anything, you know, from my search to find something. And when I saw this opportunity, this is great. Little kids can get involved, you know. It's just wonderful for families to do together as well as organizations. And so I told my husband about it. And once he looked into it, he's like, there's no reason not to do this. I mean, there was a significant financial investment in order to get it going. And it just, Indiana, once again, the hearts of Indiana, they're they're very giving. And it just continued to grow. Okay, so you had two preschool-aged daughters. Well, and then I... Saw then on NBC by having my third child. <laughs> it was a late night uh, feeding, and so. Oh, okay. So the three. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Isn't it funny how? Yeah. When you make the transition to a parent, suddenly you're like thinking, "How can I find ways to teach a loving kindness perspective? How right. can I teach generosity?" And so, and that and that was one of the things that that appealed to you. Right. Because I remember learning in my studies that they have done a lot of research on children who were underneath the age of two, and they found that our DNA is wired to help others. You know, they did this, uh, you know, testing with like 18 months old, and, and like if one of them fell, that another toddler would come and, and help the other one out. But the thing is, is that if that is not fostered continually, then we kind of lose that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just great and meaningful when a child can look up and see their 
parent is packing meals also. I mean, that just resonates more with them. That this is something to do. This is something to to do to keep our communities healthy. So here's the thing. So I probably saw that <laughs> that report on the NBC Nightly News in 2007. Was it seven? Uh, 2006. 2006. I probably saw that. Yeah. And I probably thought to myself, oh, I probably need to up my uh, contribution to cleaners. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the fact that, <laughs> what is it about you guys, you and your husband, Dan, that turned that into, we need to create a not-for-profit that does this? Well, I think it's at this point that my husband would say, oh, this is where I ask a lot of him. <laughs> <laughs> So he understood what it would take to to get a business going. And at the same time, he knew that I would be the one to to have the drive to to make everything happen. And so together, we make a wonderful team. And I think that uh, there is, in both of us, we we do have an entrepreneurial side to, to both of us. And so there is a lot of uh, synergy whenever we work together. And how did you guys meet? So we both went to college at IU in Bloomington, and I was invited to an off-campus Bible study, and I was actually going there because I liked this one guy. (laughs) (laughs) And my my husband was invited by his friend who said, hey, you have to go, uh, Hensi. There's four girls for every one guy. (laughs) Again, honest. And so he then uh, went and I went and there was uh, a program called Secret Prayer Partners. And he drew my name literally out of a hat. And the program was about to get to find that person and get to know them and then secretly pray for their needs. And eventually he found me. But they know that you're praying for their needs. No. They don't know. No. Oh, okay. It's a secret. So you're just supposed to really befriend this person and and then just pray for the needs. And by, and by the end of the you know the semester, then you yeah. tell them. So he drew my name, and after a while, he found me and asked me out for a cup of coffee, and the rest is history. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, and you were studying psychology? Correct. Yes. Correct. Okay. And you got a degree in psychology? Yes, I, I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he, was he studying business? Finance. Yes. Finance. Okay. Fast forward back to 2006. So you're in the working world. I mean, you have a day job. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have continued to have a day job. Correct. This is not. Well, I think your at that moment now. I was home for a few years. Oh, sure. Having three. Right. So. <laughs> okay. Maybe what we're getting at is I mean, being the executive director mm-hmm. of MMM is not your day job. Correct. What do you do for a living? So I work in the agriculture industry, also in food security. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a growing need for us to really consider how we can take better care of our soil so that we can continue to meet the growing population in the planet. And we have found, you know, not Every conventional method is is harmful, but some of them are. And there is an importance to consider to try other approaches that are more sustainable, where we can 
have healthier soil, have healthier food, and and really nourish our bodies in a better way. And so I work on that on a, in, a day, in my day job. <laughs> okay. Uh, can you share what, what the organization is? Yeah, it's Global Bioag Linkages. And what is your your job there? Uh, director of Human Resources. And so, oh, okay. but I do a couple different things there. So. Uh, helping companies, a lot of these organizations are startup organizations around the globe. And so we come alongside them for a variety of needs. And then also I'm responsible for academy training where we are teaching those who are wanting to know more about biological practices on how they can learn more about, say, biostimulants or biopesticides and how they can integrate that into their farming practices. So you go from psychology into human resources. Has that been the kind of the theme of your career so far? Not that it makes sense, but yeah. It does come in handy because I'm working yeah. with people for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, that, that to me makes sense, okay. you know, sociology or, or psychology, that yeah. totally makes sense to me. So you and your husband mutually decide, yes, it would be a great idea to uh, start something like this. And so you, you have the organization that you saw on TV as kind of a guide, as kind Correct. of a template. So you, you're not starting from nothing. Can you give us an idea of like, what kind of startup costs were involved? Well, this was many, many years ago, but I would say my husband, I mean, there were several times where he had to make an installment. So probably looking at 20,000. Just to get it off the ground. Just to get it going. To the point where you're, you can start collecting contributions and and grants and stuff Correct. like that. And, and, you know, and he still, still sustains from time to time. Oh, okay. So he steps in just to Correct. kind of cover if you have a loss in a year, for example. It's something that we believe to, to always contribute to. I mean, whether we're at a loss or not, um, it's just important just to continue to contribute. So what is uh, Dan's involvement today? So he's chairman of the board. And he also has a full-time job. He does. Uh, yes. And what does he do? He's a wealth advisor with UBS. Can you just give me a sense of what is the annual budget of the organization? Oh, uh, just under a million. So I think about 800,000. I'm guessing it's covered almost entirely by contributions and grants and, and things like that. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So the more partners that we have for packing events, as well as you know, we have a golf outing as a fundraiser, which is very fun. <laughs> Highly <laughs> encourage anyone to get involved in that. Always something we look forward to. And then also we have opportunities for schools and um, other nonprofits where we partner with them as well. With the day job, how do you explain? <laughs> what, do you, what do you say to them when an event like this comes along? It's like, you know, I got to go make like a million meals. Uh, <laughs> can I get some time off? How does that work? <laughs> oh, they fully support me. Yeah, yeah for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, they fully support the organization. And I think there is talk about participating as well and for them as well. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Have your kids ended up being involved in the organization? And to they what have that. So actually, <laughs> my kids got involved at a very young age. I remember they were actually teach other adults like how to do things when they were just in kindergarten or first grade, <laughs> just because they went to so many packing events. Yeah. And I do remember when my son was a, a newborn, he was on my shoulder as I was leading a packing <laughs> event. So they have definitely uh, 
uh, are veterans. They're definitely veterans of the PACs. Yeah, and, it's incredible how competent small children yeah, are. Yeah, I yeah. mean, once they know what's happening, they're very competent. So this number is on your website, so I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I don't know this, but tell everybody how many meals over the course of your organization have you packed? So we are at 35 million meals, so it's incredible <laughs> since that time. And they all have been distributed across Indiana. Well, when we first started, actually, mm -hmm. Indiana wasn't in as much of a need. So mm -hmm. we started before the financial crisis of 2008. And the meals initially were being received globally. So we were addressing the needs of orphanages in Africa. We were sending quite a few meals to Haiti. Uh, there was a school in Haiti that received them quite frequently, actually. And then we addressed uh, Hurricane Katrina and mm. the tsunami in the Philippines. So when we heard of a crisis, we were sending food there. But then after the financial crisis... We started noticing in our backyard that there was a, a growing need, and then we made the switch to complete all of our meals to, I would say, back in 2015, the meals would stay here in Indiana. And that was a, definitely a, a turn. And then I assume, you know, when the pandemic rolled around, I remember the, yeah. the, the need became so much more acute. Right. So families who are struggling before some sort of crisis like that, when you, anytime that you have some sort of Im, impromptu crisis that happens, you and I can bounce back quickly. But those who were struggling, it takes them so much longer to bounce back. And once COVID happened, and I know the, the stimulus checks did help, but when those were no longer being sent out and we had the inflation, families were even going to the food pantries more so. The, the pantries were seeing such an increase on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. So our meals were not lasting very long. Was it difficult in that first, I don't know, 18 months of the pandemic to get people together to do packing? Was that a <laughs> challenge? Our organization saw a lot of packs that were on the calendar. Like, they just were canceled. And so, mm -hmm. again, I have to, you know, commend the team. They did a great job of being able to restructure the packing events where everyone was able to stay being safe. And those companies who were bold enough to, to pack during that time, they really made a big difference. And it was not easy for companies who wanted to pack, but yet their legal advice from their attorneys were like, no, yeah. Even though they were hearing through the news that there was a, such a need in our state. So the heart was there, but, you know, they just, oh, sure. they couldn't risk their employees coming. And so um, there were a lot of companies who didn't have quite so much of that um, structure to, to prevent the packing events, and they really stepped up. We had some great partners really step up to help how many meals did you make in 2023, or did you pack in 2023? So we did 1.2 million in okay. 2023. Is that a typical number? I don't know what's typical. Have <laughs> <laughs> you averaged 1.5 million meals a year for uh, 17 years? 
But that makes sense. You know, actually, it has really varied. There yeah. have been years where we've actually done two million. I've kind of given up on what's normal anymore, mm. and we're just grateful to to always have partners who are willing to to address uh, the needs in our backyard. But I would say uh, the last several years, yes, one point, a little over a million meals, one to one and a half mm. million meals is kind of common, but then you have these large packs right. that so, yeah, are the anomalies, you're right? You're going to knock out February with 1 million meals. <laughs> yes. You might go over 2 million yes. for yes. the year. Okay. Yeah. So the size of the organization in terms of, you know, uh, I mean, how many people you have, the reach that you try to maintain, are, are you comfortable with where it is right now? Or do you think maybe we could grow this more or just make sense at the size? I think think once we're able to have a healthier economy, it would be great to have more partners to pack meals. And, and you know, our goal someday is to, to really not be needed, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know that I see that anytime soon. And there are some areas in our organization where I would love to give uh, some more support to my team. They work hard and they could use more hands on deck for sure. Mm -hmm. The other members of the team, are they all full-time? Most of them, yeah. We have one that's part-time. Okay. So three full-time, one part-time, and one you. So what do you you usually do during these big events? Just everywhere, trying to put out fires, (laughs) make sure everybody is is getting their stuff done? I'm a volunteer, just like everybody else. So it's just that I... We'll be looking for particular things that need to be done that might be overlooked. But honestly, I just really love being part of what's taking place. And if there is uh, an area on a line that I see could really use someone, then I'll just jump in and I'll help out there. Or if I see that there are boxes that need to be moved, I'll do that. So wherever there's a need... You know, there's no job too big, too little for me for me to do. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of helping out when I can. When do you plan to take a nap? <laughs> I don't think I'm going to. You know, that's the the beauty of having three kids, right? It's like yeah. I sleep is is something that <laughs> left long time ago. <laughs> okay, so you, you don't foresee needing to sleep for 24 hours. Yeah, you know, I might sit and close my eyes for, for a few minutes. All right, you're, yeah. you're going to try to be at it the whole time. We'll see. Okay. Maybe I'm talking big now. We'll see how that... <laughs> okay, don't kill yourself. And then what do you do? <laughs> what do you do when it's all over? I think I will probably go to bed for sure, but uh, maybe my husband and I, we will, uh, I don't know, whenever we are rested up, enjoy a, a great bottle of wine. I think that would be nice to just, <laughs> <laughs> just rest from it all. It, it's exciting. It's, it's an honor um, for our organization to be, to be chosen. And, you know, half of what we do is feed the hungry. And I, and I know that's, it's very easy to, to focus on that part because everyone understands hunger. Everyone can, can identify that, that that is something that's no one wants to see anyone else experience. But the, the other half of what we're trying to do is, is really is the movement piece that's within our name. It is a movement. You know, we have a story that we're trying to tell to the community and we have 
a great community that that has great hearts to be able to be a part of that. And we have the structure to make it easy for people to volunteer. It's kind of a, a turnkey way for people who've maybe not had the lifestyle to, to volunteer to easily jump in. Again, no matter what age, no matter what walk of life they're coming from, and to experience that. And the nice thing about that is everyone will leave that experience visually being able to see the value that they provided and that, hey, they can make a difference. And I think there are those in the community that maybe they don't really think that they make a difference in this world, but by having an experience with us that they can leave thinking, hey, I can do something. I can be a part of something. And the goal is really for that to be channeled into other areas where they can volunteer in the community. And so we feel like we're a gateway opportunity for, for the community and creating this, this movement to, to care for those on the margins of our community. And, and if we, as our society, care for those, then our, our lives are better, right? Our state is better. That's a great goal. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Yeah, just a, just a little goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, best of luck to you next week. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like everything's uh, lining up pretty well. It is. Yeah. I think uh, we really have everything in order for it. And it's just a matter of, of waiting for that day and, and hopefully getting a lot of sleep until then. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much yes. for walking me through this. It's really interesting. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mason. My thanks again to Nancy Hintz. And just a heads up, you can read more about the Million Meal Marathon in IBJ's All-Star Access publication, which was delivered to subscribers with this week's issue of IBJ. You'll probably remember that Indianapolis was supposed to host the 2021 All-Star Game, but the game was moved due to the pandemic, and Indy was given another chance to host in 2024. And as a result, there probably has been no All-Star Game in NBA history that's had so much planning and dedicated programming. Our All-Star Access publication has the big picture on the extended preparations, including the intentional way black culture is taking center stage at this year's event, and the smaller details, such as listing all of the local organizations benefiting from legacy projects. There's also a schedule of official and peripheral events, including concerts and parties. Again, you can find this in the print edition of IBJ, as well as online at ibj.com. And thanks for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week. 